This is Unfiltered, episode 161 for October 11th, 2015. Syria now, where the Obama administration has given up on a key part of its strategy for fighting the Islamic terror army, ISIS. The U.S. announcing it'll no longer try to train modern, moderate Syrian rebels to join that fight. The rebels want only to fight the Assad dictatorship, which is now supported militarily by Russia. Jonathan Vigliotti is in, the, is in London as the Russian involvement in Syria is complicating the fight against ISIS. Jonathan, good morning. Welcome to Unfilter, episode 161 of Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show that's distracting you, hopefully, from all of that TV you shouldn't be watching on a Sunday edition of the Unfilter show. We decided to do an extra bonus because producer Matt and I are watching the news go by and we said we got to catch up. we got to get everybody caught up because it is and it has been a historical week. In fact, as we're here on Sunday, it is just a couple of days past a pretty, pretty big anniversary. Uh, and so and I thought actually we'd spend a minute starting the show looking at this anniversary. But first, I want to tell you a little about my intention for this week's episode. This, hopefully, if all goes to plan, will be part one of two episodes this week. So I we'll have episode 162 on its regular time, assuming the news cycle gives us something to work with. I suspect, I suspect it will. So I'm hoping that everybody will get a chance to listen to 161 and 162. And I'm to, to help facilitate that, since we're going to have two episodes in the feed this week, This one's going to be laser-focused on the really big story this week, the stuff that is really finally making a change in the Middle East, stuff that is really groundbreaking. And so this episode is helped going to get the groundwork laid so we can cover all of that really hitting the ground running in 162. Now, it's ironic, though, that we're sitting here doing this type of show. Earlier this week on Unfilter's regular live day on uh, Wednesday, it was a rather noteworthy anniversary. It was the 14th anniversary of launching the first attacks in Afghanistan. And I just want to take a moment and go in the unfiltered Wayback Machine here to 14 years ago. And I got this clip that really, really was the start that led us right to where we're at today. From October 7th, 2001. We're going to go to our White House correspondent, Terry Moran. Terry... My recollection is, I think yours, that this day began, at least in public terms, with an offer by the Taliban to put Osama bin Laden on trial. It did indeed, Peter. And that's a kind of an interesting point right there. In fact, I, because it was the audio was a little low at the beginning of the clip, I'll back it up so you can hear that. Uh, this day started with the Taliban offering to hand over Osama bin Laden. My recollection is, I think yours, that this day began, at least in terms, with an offer by the Taliban to put Osama bin Laden on trial. It did indeed, Peter. This was one last-ditch final effort by the Taliban to negotiate their way out of this. It's an offer the U.S. flatly rejected. At 12.41 this afternoon, Press Secretary Ari Fleischer made a sudden appearance in the briefing room announcing the airstrikes. We are beginning another front in our war against terrorism so freedom can prevail over fear. Twenty minutes later, from the treaty room in the residence of the White House, the president spoke to the nation and the world. On my orders, the United States military has begun strikes against al-Qaeda terrorist training camps and military installations of the Taliban regime in Afghanistan. With thousands, perhaps millions, of Afghan families fleeing their homes, President Bush declared that the mission is also humanitarian. 
the oppressed people of Afghanistan will know the generosity of America and our allies. As we strike military targets, we will also drop food, medicine, and supplies to the starving and suffering men and women and children of Afghanistan. And Mr. Bush put other nations on notice that the attack on the Taliban marks just the beginning of a wider war on terrorism. Today we focus on Afghanistan, but the battle is broader. Every nation has a choice to make. In this conflict, there is no neutral ground. All day, the president and Vice President Cheney, who was taken to a secure, undisclosed location, called world leaders to brief them on the action, among them the heads of Russia, Canada, Australia, France, Germany, Israel, and Egypt. Prime Minister Tony Blair of Great Britain, whose forces are engaged alongside the U.S., made a strong statement declaring that the Taliban brought war upon themselves. They were given the choice of siding with justice or siding with terror, and they chose to side with terror. Last night, Mr. Bush informed the congressional leadership, the Senate majority and minority leaders, the Speaker of the House and the House minority leader of the pending military action, a sign of the remarkably close cooperation. (laughs) The close cooperation, not getting it legally approved is the close cooperation. They have achieved on security matters since September 11th. And tonight, Peter, those four congressional leaders from both parties issued a statement saying we stand united with our president and our troops. So there you go. 14 years ago, October 7th, 2001, we took the first steps to get into the mess that we're in today. And it, uh, I think it's it's uh, very telling as we're about to get in the rest of this episode to look back right there. Now, to kind of uh, sort of get us eased into there, I do want to start with a cyber angle of ISIS. And cyber terror, of course, is a big part of that. And recruiting over Twitter is something we've followed. And this clip really kind of brings it all together. So if you're catching up for the first time, this is a great clip to bring you up to speed on uh, essentially the U.S. government's position on why uh, Twitter, ISIS, or why ISIS tweets are so dangerous, perhaps you could say. homegrown horror that can turn invisible just when it becomes most dangerous. We're talking about the online recruitment of young Americans enticed to join the ranks of ISIS and other terror groups overseas. They send two messages. First, come to the caliphate. Okay, there's number one. And participate in the final battle between good and evil on God's side. All right, there's number two. And find meaning in your life. There's number three. Second, if you can't travel, kill where you are. So they okay. So uh, so here's what happens: is ISIS is able to deliver this message to uh, the uh, the young U.S. citizens. Fate in the bat- final battle between good and evil on God's side, and find meaning in your life. Second, if you can't travel, kill where you are. Kill anyone, uh, but especially if you could kill people in military uniform or law enforcement uniform and video it. That would be best of all. And video it. They get all of that uh, in 160 characters or less. FBI Director James Comey this week describing young recruits as unmoored and troubled souls, but finding and stopping them gets complicated when encrypted communications Ah. go dark and slip beyond the reach of law enforcement. So now see if you can catch the current bit of news that came out this week that gets slipped into this report, but they do it in a very, very skewed way. The Obama administration has decided not to seek legislation requiring data companies to decrypt the data. Former Assistant FBI Director Stephen Pomerantz says... The story there is, and you heard her say it, and I hope you caught it. Here, I'll play it back. I did not to seek legislation requiring data companies to decrypt the data. This is a huge moment. We've been following this story for months in this show, that the FBI has been pushing to get Apple and Google ever since Android M and iOS 8 
were announced. I believe it was even iOS 8, yes, was announced. They've been fighting this. So it's been a long time. They wanted built-in backdoors. And now the Obama administration has said they will not push for it. They're not going to discourage lawmakers from doing it, but they're not going to make an affront, an affront on it, I suppose, an affront. That would be, uh, I guess that would be an Obama front, wouldn't it? I, 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 I will, I will uh, hold, hold, hold on, guys. Come on. I, the, uh, the, the, there's just... Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, it's okay. So let's uh, move right along. As we get into terrorism, let's talk about these altered terror reports because... As we look at back at over a year now of fighting ISIS and how it's gotten absolutely nowhere, it's really accomplished nothing. A key part of this before Russia, I mean, a key reason, right? This is a key reason why Russia has joined the fight, supposedly. And a key part of our failure, some people say, is these altered intelligence reports. So I want to continue to follow that story today. The altered intelligence, and it actually took a pretty interesting turn. So this is, again, interesting backdrop as we move forward into the rest of the week. Army whistleblower speaking out now for the first time about altered intelligence reports on the fight against terrorism in the Middle East. Telling Fox News, CENTCOM in Tampa watered down reports that he helped prepare. And when he expressed concerns to the Defense Intelligence Agency, he says he faced retaliation. Senior correspondent Adam Housley live in L.A. on this story. Adam, what did you find out? So we have a whistleblower here who he himself says that he tried to raise concerns about the reports and was basically told to shut up. Good morning. Yeah, Bill, that watering down really came at several levels from what it seems like. Uh, basically, changing or altering intelligence has been an ongoing issue and something that we've been hearing and investigating for several years now here at Fox. And the men and women... Wait, 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 wait. Several years at Fox? ...on the ground insist it's threatening American lives. For several years, starting in 2010, former CENTCOM analyst Army Sergeant First Class William Cotell says he and his colleagues were told not to report certain facts on terrorism in the Middle East. It didn't fit a narrative. It didn't fit the current operating theme, which was that al-Qaeda is decimated. A narrative that meant some significant terrorist activity... This guy's yelling too much. Why is he yelling? ...was downplayed and wouldn't always make it into reports, instead replaced by information about the local economy or even the environment. Wow. Information that does very little to help paint an accurate security situation for leaders and troops on the ground. We were seeing it. Okay, so let's let's stop right here just for a second. So they're taking bits of the report and they're removing one part and they're putting in parts of the environment. Attacks that were left out of reports. That's what we were seeing. And when I would go to the section and talk to them about it or confront them or put it up through the command, it wasn't being followed through with. So they were just being left out of these reports, which mm. is not giving the commander the proper picture. After several years trying to use the chain of command, Cotel expressed his concerns to the Defense Intelligence Agency. Days later, he had his security clearance pulled. Yikes. He says he was instructed to drive to work each day, but was not permitted to get out of his car. He was eventually assigned to cleaning and trash duty. It was a clear violation of the rules, hmm. and in now 39 years of, or 29 years of practicing at military justice, I have yet to see the treatment that was afforded uh, Sergeant First Class Cotel uh, down in SEMCOM. It, it was horrific. Cotel was court-martialed last year on what he says were fabricated charges, the most serious pornography on his computer. 
He was acquitted on four, one was dismissed, and he received an honorable discharge. But the concern here is actually twofold. The manipulation of essential intelligence reports and the crackdown on a whistleblower. This does not surprise me that somebody who's, who's being a patriot, trying to, to raise some, some serious issues, uh, raise issues that could actually cost Americans their lives, and now he's being retaliated against. We're supposed to do the right thing, and the command is supposed to support that no matter what. But in this command climate, you do the right thing, and you're going to pay the piper. And, mm. and right now, I've paid the piper, and I'm going to continue to pay the piper. What do we uh, what do we what do we say when we when we always quote the fail of the Bush administration? Wasn't it the failure of those intelligence reports about weapons of mass destruction? And now here's the Obama administration with a rather growing controversy on their hands just in time for an election. Speaking of a controversy on the Obama administration's hands, you probably heard that uh, we accidentally bombed a Doctors Without Borders hospital. Right on the backdrop of claiming the Russian smart bombs are hitting Iranian targets and that the Russians are bombing the wrong locations, we bomb a hospital. Not just any hospital, though. A hospital that actually had reported its position every morning to the Pentagon. Well, to the bureaucracy that goes up to the Pentagon. They actually had told them the morning they got struck their location and said, we are not a terrorist organization. We are a Doctors Without Borders Institute. And then they were hit like what was it? Chatroom, do you have the number how many times they were hit? Yes, they say it was requested by the Afghan government. This has been a back and forth, as this clip will bring you up to speed on and the situation that the Obama administration has on their hands. Good evening. An apology today by President Obama for the deadly American attack on a hospital in Afghanistan. The president calling an accident, the horrible tragedy that killed almost two dozen patients and medical staff and jarred us all back into the horrible reality of a war that many may have thought was over for the U.S., Despite the apology, Doctors Without Borders, which operated the hospital, is not dropping its demand for the attack to be investigated as a possible war crime. NBC News chief foreign correspondent Richard Engel has the latest. After struggling to explain how and why the U.S. bombed a hospital in Afghanistan, today, the president... And they don't really mention the fact that they hit them over and over and over again. The president made a call. This morning from the Oval Office, President Obama spoke by telephone with Doctors Without Borders International President Dr. Joanne Liu to apologize and express his condolences for the MSF staff and patients who were killed and injured when a U.S. military airstrike mistakenly struck an MSF field hospital in Kunduz, Afghanistan over the weekend. But the apology may be too late. This doesn't change anything. Uh, we, we appreciate uh, the expression of condolences, uh, but it doesn't change the fact that we have 22 dead patients and staff uh, that were killed on, uh, as a result of this attack. Today, Doctors Without Borders allowed our cameras access to the injured, now recovering in Kabul, hmm. who described the bombing, the yelling, and the chaos like doomsday. The United States, when we make a mistake... We're honest about it. Man, is that a load of crap or what? I mean, do I, re- I don't even need to cite all the millions of examples. We own up to it. Man, that is such... Remember, how about, let's, let's just pick one. One, the secret drone program that took half an administration to come out. An administration and a half. It took an administration and a half to come out. Actually, I believe, if you think about it, it probably, the very beginnings, I believe, started with Clinton, right? So it is... What a bunch of crap that is. But for days, the U.S. military kept changing its story, first saying U.S. troops were under fire, then acknowledging they weren't. 
then saying Afghan troops had requested the airstrike. And today, unnamed officials suggested low-level U.S. officers were at fault. No war is ever without mistakes. They add up over time. Just like the Abu Ghraib, right? That was low-level. And this war is the longest in U.S. history, launched 14 years ago today. We will not waver. Hey, look at that. We will not tire. We haven't. We will not falter. No. And we will not fail. So there you have it. Uh, That is an embarrassment, right, as we're ridiculing the Russians, ridiculing them for their bad aim. And one of the things we've talked about a lot on this show, you guys will remember, we made a big we made a big stink out of the fact that these guys in ISIS are driving around with these brand new Toyota pickups. Some of them new, some of them used. And then later in the show, we've actually tracked how they ended up. They were some of them were shipped up through Libya. Some of them were uh, dropped off. And this clip goes into that to miss packed with ISIS fighters and heavy weapons. Toyota pickup trucks and SUVs are featured prominently in ISIS propaganda videos. What I love about this clip is this is the mainstream media being like, okay, we have to address this. All right, those beheading videos, those just, those didn't get us very far. We had to shut that down. Nobody's, people are starting to pick that apart. But you know, the one thing that we've accidentally been putting a lot of in all this ISIS B-roll, regardless of our filters, you notice there's no filter on this one, uh, is these Toyotas. So let's let's figure out a way to explain these Toyotas. Of course, we could just go ask somebody at the State Department, but no, no, we're going to do an investigation. Toyota is the truck that jihadists choose uh, when they want to go to war. Now, is it just me, or did they just turn this into a promo for Toyota? It's the same thing with Kalashnikovs. That's the rifle that they choose. Toyota Hilux pickup trucks, similar to the Tacoma sold in the West, and Toyota Land Cruisers are seen in the group's videos. Is this disgusting to you? I mean... These trucks were bought and paid for by the U.S. State Department with U.S. tax dollars. That's why they have them. Why are they turning this into a commercial? From its campaigns in Iraq, Syria, and Libya. A top Iraqi official tells CNN his government believes ISIS has acquired hundreds of Toyota vehicles in recent years. Tonight, Toyota tells CNN the U.S. Treasury Department is seeking information from the automaker. That's actually the origination of the story, is the Treasury Department is looking into it. Now, they're trying to figure it out. The Treasury Department's looking into it. Why is the U.S. Treasury Department looking into why ISIS has Toyotas? Why do you suppose that is? Why would the U.S. Treasury Department be looking in to see if the Islamic State, why they have Toyotas? Ask yourself that question on how ISIS has gotten hold of so many of its vehicles. And the company says it's briefed the Treasury Department on how it handles its supply chains. How do you think they're getting these? Now he's asking a Toyota salesman in a Toyota dealership and standing in front of a Toyota truck. I think they're buying them probably uh, right over the, uh, you know, through formal channels. They're probably going right into the dealerships and purchasing them. They're just not identifying as ISIS. Who would? Jonathan Shanzer, a former terror finance tracker at the Treasury Department... So this guy's theory is, he's a car salesman now, his theri is that ISIS, li- okay, ISIS likes these trucks so much, they're going into the dealerships and they're buying $60,000 vehicles on credit with their ISIS job credentials and then getting them on payment plans? Or are they using all that oil money that we're also not sanctioning the people that are buying oil from ISIS? I mean, I'm not quite clear. Like, So this guy, just so we have this, let's make sure we back this up because this, is, I think, is a pretty – I mean, this, they're explaining why they have these Toyota trucks to you. And purchasing them, they're just not identifying as ISIS. Hold on. i got to go back a little bit further, a little bit further here. They're probably going right into the dealerships and purchasing them. They're just not identifying as ISIS. So ISIS fighters, by literally the thousands – are going into Toyota dealerships and buying these Toyota trucks in the thousands. 
Who would? Jonathan Shanzer, a former terror finance tracker at the Treasury Department, says the Toyota procurement illustrates how ISIS runs itself like a combination of a mafia gang and a major corporation. No, it doesn't. It doesn't show that at all. It's got spreadsheets on missions. That's an infograph that a marketing company out of Qatar put together. Assassinations and captured assets. That's not a spreadsheet. That's an infograph. that a marketing company made. Some terror group's vehicles are clearly from other car makers, not just Toyota. This Ford pickup truck still has decals of a plumbing company in Texas. The company tells us after they traded it in, it must have gone to an overseas auction. Yeah, Mm mm-hmm. Maybe the U.S. government bought them in mass. The Taliban and other militants also use Toyota vehicles. But analysts say Toyota pickups are especially well-suited to ISIS's fast and light fighting style. Man, I bet Volkswagen was wishing it was getting this kind of publicity right now. They could be easily modified. They can be uh, upgraded so they're great for desert, for, for dry conditions, for dusty conditions. So they've got a, a lot of, uh, you, know, uh, you know, ruggedness. That, 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 uh... can, you, can you listen to this and tell me that this is not a commercial for Toyota? This is why... This is why being funded by your audience is important, because there's just no way to know. That may not be bought and paid for by Toyota, or CNN might be giving a hand job to the Toyota Corporation. This, for all you know, is a welcome aboard Toyota package. Perhaps Toyota just bought through the, se- the, the holiday season advertising, and as a, as, an, as a Benny, they're throwing this in. I mean, you don't know, do you? There's no way for you to know, but that is how the advertising business works. Patreon.com slash unfilter. Keep us going. Audience funded means you know where our loyalties lie. I think that makes the key difference. That is just, I just, when that, when I saw that, I had to play that for you guys. Kind of crazy. All right, let's move into the big story of the week. The real reason why we're here on a Sunday is we have to get caught up on Russia getting involved with the fight in the Middle East. This fundamentally, in my estimation, changes the U.S.'s approach to the Middle East and maybe in the long run helps draw the U.S. out of the Middle East, maybe, or much worse, bring us much deeper into it and essentially entering a proxy war with Russia. So let's start with some of the stuff that's going down right now. Ben Secretary Ash Carter trying to come up with some kind of response with NATO says that Russia's strategy is at odds with the United States. Russia is, as you probably know by now, bombing targets in Syria, ISIS targets, some of which are aligned with the Assad government, some of which are not. And the U.S. over the week has been pretty much calling out everyone they can including they say they bombed Iran, which Iran actually says is not true. A lot of back and forth. They continue to hit targets that are not ISIL. We believe this is a fundamental mistake. What targets are they, Ash Carter? Despite what the Russians say, we have not agreed to cooperate with Russia so long as they continue to pursue a mistaken strategy. So that's another way to take this is we are not sharing intelligence data with Russia about which of the targets they are striking are U.S.-backed rebels. And hit these targets. Let's go to Greg Palcott. Who... All right, let's stop there. So that's the official word from Ash Carter. He also called the Russian strategy unprofessional. President Obama and Defense Secretary Carter once had great hopes for the U.S. program to train Syrian rebels, but in the end, it only produced, believe it or not, five 
fighters. Now, that sounds unprofessional to me. Now, one thing they're not going to hear, you're not going to hear in this, they're not going to talk about the CIA's training program. When they say we've only trained five fighters, they're talking about the Pentagon fighters. We've only trained five Pentagon-trained troops. At a cost of $500 million. So now we're spinning this program down, supposedly. Now, this is a major part of the strategy. They wanted to have 1,500 to 15,000 troops trained by now. Leland Vitter live at the White House with more on this story. Leland. Oh, Greg, consider the timing here. Just as the White House is trying to say to everyone that the Russian policy towards Syria is a disaster, they are forced to make this major admission that their half a billion dollar program to train and equip Syrian rebels is a disaster in its own right. At last report, the program to train those rebels produced enough fighters barely for a basketball team, clearly not anywhere close to what was needed to take on ISIS. So now it is back to the drawing boards for Defense Secretary Ash Carter. I wasn't satisfied with the early efforts in that regard, <laughs> and so we're looking at different ways to achieve the basically the same kind of strategic objective. I like that we're just out and about talking about how we want to train rebels. I like how much of a politician this guy's about it, too. We have a... a uh, devised a number of different approaches to that going forward mm. and uh, taking them to President Obama. In the background, you are hearing Marine One land here to take President Obama to the West Coast for the beginning of a weekend trip out there. Whether we hear from him about this before he leaves is unclear, but clearly it's been a very rough week for the president when it comes to foreign policy as he tries to convince America's allies abroad also that it's the United States who has Syria figured out. And I want you to think about it in that context for a second. So it's not just the Obama administration making a reversal, a public reversal on one of their largest strategies to fight ISIS, but they have to do it in front of the rest of the world while Putin's making his move. And not the Russians, Greg. Well, a half a million dollars and five fighters, I mean, it is, I'm sure even the people behind you in the White House would admit that is pretty absurd. But are, are you getting a feel today for what the latest uh, that's going on in Syria? Well, so far, what we're hearing from the White House is a doubling down on this philosophy of strategic patience. And that's what Josh oh, wow. Ernest was talking about yesterday. They say in Washington that words matter. In the Middle East, actions matter. And the Russians have basically thumbed their nose at suggestions that the United States uh, has had in terms of that they should stop their air campaign. Why would the Russians take any suggestions that we've had? Why would they take any? And now here's the problem. As Russians are moving in as airstrikes and Iranians are moving in as ground troops, we are essentially fighting Russian and Iranians when we train and back US, the U.S. trained and backed rebels. And there's a whole bunch that the CIA has trained. There's a whole batch of them in there. They're essentially now fighting the Russians. And the Russians are bombing U.S. trained troops and rebels and CIA agents that are there as advisors. It's not like these people are there by themselves. There are thousands of CIA. Yes, literally thousands of CIA agents on the ground in Syria. We've seen increasingly unprofessional behavior from Russian forces this is Ash Carter violated again. Turkish airspace. They've shot cruise missiles from a ship in the Caspian Sea. With so that violating Turkish airspace, you, you may have heard the story that they had to turn around U.S. airplanes because of a close call with Russian fighters. And then it came out, well, it was actually a 20-mile gap between the Russian fighters and the U.S. airplanes. But, you know, in, in the air, at airspeeds, 20 miles is not very much space. And then it came out... 
Well, it was actually U.S. drones launching from a Turkish airbase, and the drones just had to alter their course. But we still, we still talk about it like they violated the airspace. They was a dangerous close encounter. U.S. planes almost hit Russian planes when it was U.S. drones that were 20 miles away that just had to alter their planned course. That warning, it remains our hope that Russia will see that tethering itself to a sinking ship is a losing strategy. So Russia's current strategy of going in and fighting ISIS and making sure the Assad regime stays in power is a losing strategy, a sinking strategy, because in the U.S.'s estimation, there's no end game except for Assad going out of power. And so if your strategy is hitched to keeping Assad in power, that's a sinking ship. Because we have decided all the way over here, all the way across the Atlantic Ocean, all the way over here in the U.S., we have decided that Assad must go. Because Russia has the opportunity to change course and do the right thing. I don't know if they replace the elected leader. They will. Well, that was Ash Carter earlier today. The American Secretary of Defense suggesting that Russia's all-out military offensive in the Middle East was, quote, unprofessional. He also said he hopes that Russia will eventually do the right thing. But in testimony before the Senate Armed Service Committee today, General Jack Keane warned that now is not the time to simply hope the Kremlin comes around. Putin has put Russia on a path to be a world power with global influence. Putin is counting on the U.S. fear of escalation and fear of confrontation. I will say this. Putin already is on the world stage. The amount of oil they can throw around, the, the amount of money that they make off the EU, and the amount of money the EU makes off of Russia, and just these recent sanctions show you the damage, and we're going to get to that. I would say they already are here. And this is what the U.S. knew all along. We knew. That's why well, the Bush administration went as hard as they did in the Middle East, is that we had a limited amount of time while Russia was getting back up on their feet to get our presence in there. We knew this was always going to happen. This has been, this is, but people who run the government and people who work at these, th these groups, like the Institute for the Study of War, like General Jack Kane does here, retired general, they forecasted this happening a long time ago. That's why we moved in as fast as we did on the pretenses that we did to secure what we could. Now, the, f the fact of the matter is, I can't come up with a good argument for why we can't just let them have it. I know there's oil over there. Let's keep what we've got and let them have the rest. And I'm going to make the case later in the show today that all of this that we're doing, this back and forth in Syria and throwing our weight around, is costing us greatly with some of our allies. I'll let the general continue, though, because he's about to make an important point. To stop any thought of retaliation. Historically, aggression unanswered has led to more aggression. We are certain to lose the war unless there is major and comprehensive change. Putin has begun a proxy war with the United States. I don't know if I say it's Putin that started it. How can the United States stand by and do nothing? That is true. If we continue to wring our hands and continue to be dominated by fear and opposed to instilling fear, then Russian aggression will not just advance in the Middle East, it will with certainty escalate in the Baltics and in Eastern Europe. Now is the time for a firm hand. Now we can make a big noise about all of this, but it's in some, in, you know what, at some level, he is correct. Now here's the part that we are not openly discussing. And on this show, I've made the claim for a while, with lots of links in the show notes, that the CIA is backing these rebels. The people that want to topple Assad, 
Those are actually backed by the CIA. And if you do the math on that, that means an outside Western influencer is backing, arming, and training rebels that are striking targets in Syria. That sounds like the very definition of terrorism to me. Now, that's just my opinion. I'm just To me, that sounds like terrorism. It sounds like the Assad government would be fighting terrorists because they are rebels who are being backed by an outside government, the government that wasn't elected by the people. Now, if I play that out, that means the CIA is backing terrorism would seem to me that's a pretty fair estimation if in fact the cia is in there backing these rebels well that's the big question for some of you isn't it well don't take my word for it why don't you take john mccain's word for it just like i said in episode 160 russia is striking non well how do they put it um they are they are striking groups that are uh that are very much backed by the u.s we just aren't really coming right out and saying it we're saying instead they're hitting non-isis targets is what ash carter put it non-isis targets really what they're doing is they're striking the rebels that the u.s has been financing and equipping because they're some of the scariest most well-trained equipped rebels out there because the rest are just regular people so if you follow so follow me on this line of thinking if russia is going after u.s backed rebels then russia knows they're striking u.s troops and John McCain says, yeah, that's exactly what's happening. Do you believe that Russia is targeting ISIS targets or not? Uh, they're not. Uh, they may be uh, t- uh, targeting some, Chris, but it's interesting. Their initial strikes were against uh, the uh, individuals and the groups that have been funded and trained by our uh, CIA uh, in an incredible flaunting now, uh, did you hear what John McCain just said? So that's John McCain talking. Well, just I think he makes a good point too. I think he makes targeting some, Chris. But it's interesting. Their initial strikes were against uh, the uh, individuals and the groups that have been funded and trained by our uh, CIA uh, in a incredible flaunting of uh, of any kind of uh, cooperation. So he's actually so pissed. He's pissed. So John McCain, of course, he's a Pentagon boy, right? He cares more about the efforts from the Pentagon. But he is pissed that not only is Russia striking the U.S.-backed rebels, but that they know it. He, he knows that they're, they, Russia knows exactly what they're doing, and that's why he's upset. Interesting. Their initial strikes were against uh, the uh, individuals and the groups that have been funded and trained by our uh, CIA uh, in an incredible flaunting of uh, of any kind of uh, cooperation or effort to conceal uh, what their first Putin's priority is, and that is, of course, to prop up Bashar uh, Assad. And by the way, I can absolutely confirm to you that they were uh, strikes against our uh, Free Syrian Army or groups that have been armed and trained by by the CIA because we have he's doubling down on it he's doubling down on it look at that look at that news actor's face too look at that news actor's face he's completely shocked that John McCain is saying this on air Bashar uh, Assad and by the way I can absolutely confirm to you that they were uh, strikes against our uh, free Syrian army or groups that have been armed and trained by by the CIA because they are one and the same. The Free Syrian Army and groups that have been trained by the CIA are one and the same. One and the same. One more time just for posterity because, my God, the show has been saying this for six months or more, maybe a year or more now. Of course, to prop up Bashar uh, Assad. And by the way, I can absolutely confirm to you that they were uh, strikes against our uh, Free Syrian Army or groups that have been armed and trained by 
by the CIA because we have communications with people uh, there. And mm. so now mm. we're going to have a meeting of the uh, military or some kind of communications. That seems to be the administration's first priority. And so we can stand by and watch them uh, strike uh, those uh, groups that are fighting against Bashar Assad that we're so we, uh, why we are, what he's upset about is why we are trying to establish communication lines with the Russian army and military, I should say. And of course, Russia is going to drag their feet on that. In the meantime, the people we have backed and funded are just being blown up after all of our money and all of our effort, all of our secret, all of the Toyota trucks, after all of the guns, all of the food and ammo drops, after all the CIA agents that have been over there training them, all of the work that's gone into screening the different groups, supposedly. All of that is being flushed by the Russians right now. It's being completely flushed. And he's pissed because the longer the Obama administration takes to do something, the more the effort's been wasted. And now the Pentagon's program has been shut down. The Pentagon's program to train rebels has been shut down. And the CIA's program is being destroyed by the Russians. This is a brilliant move by Putin. You're training and funding. This, so, this is an Orwellian experience. Now, John McCain just said it himself. He says it's Orwellian because the, the administration is just sitting back and watching the people that they've trained and funded, their own people essentially, be killed. Priority. And so we can stand by and watch them uh, strike uh, those uh, groups that are fighting against Bashar Assad that we're training and funding. This, so, this is an Orwellian experience. So you're saying you can confirm that um, not only are yes. they not primarily targeting ISIS, but they're hitting the same people that the U.S. and coalition <laughs> forces are arming and training. Uh, the intent would be obvious to shore up the Assad regime. So then it's because they're terrorists and the Assad regime. I don't know if is it fair to the, the, the Assad government. If, do we call it the Obama regime? The Assad regime is allies with Putin. They're buddies. They're partners. They've been allies before this whole thing went down. And remember how Putin and the Syrian government worked together to get rid of chemical weapons right away? Every sudden, all of a sudden, we're cool to work with them when we're getting rid of chemical weapons. And that they're a recognizable government while we're getting rid of the chemical weapons. And now we go back to the Assad regime. If that's what's going on, what can the U.S. do about it? Well, the first thing we do is we say uh, to the Russians, uh, we're going to... I'm going to back his question up because I think there's something there we need to pay attention to. So let's, uh, sorry, because I got all excited there. Uh, groups that are fighting against Bashar Assad that we're training and funding. This, so, this is an Orwellian experience. So you're saying you can confirm that um, not only are yes. they not primarily targeting ISIS, but they're hitting the same people that the U.S. and coalition mm -hmm. forces are arming and training. Uh, there it is. There it is. There it is. There it is. Yes. Good catch. Good catch, chat room. The U.S. and coalition forces. Who is that? Well, of course, we know it's Saudi Arabia. ...targeting ISIS, but they're hitting the same people that the U.S. and coalition forces... And then John McCain does not correct him. He confirms. ...are arming and training. Uh, the intent would be obvious to shore up the Assad regime. So then, if that's what's going on, what can the U.S. do about it? Well, the first thing we do is we say uh, to the Russians, uh, we're going to fly anywhere we want to, and you better stay the hell out of the way. So we're going to tell the Russians... We're going to set up a no-fly zone over Syria. We, the United States government, over here, is going to say where people can and cannot fly. And we're going to tell, we're going to tell the Russians, who are allies with their own agreements already established with the Syrian government, that they can't fly over their ally space. The second thing we do is that we uh, consider serious sanctions. Third of all... We already do serious sanctions, and they're hurting our EU partners. We develop a strategy 
pretty much outlined by General David Petraeus before the Senate Armed Services Committee a couple of weeks ago uh, to turn uh, this tide. It, it is uh, the slaughter continues and now we have the Russians playing a major role. We now have them uh, for the first time since 1973 when Anwar Sadat threw the Russians out of Egypt being a major player there and of course the slaughter goes on and the, the likelihood of a continuation of this is uh, enhanced and meanwhile the secretary of state actually it seems like if we were just uh, if we just said okay well regime regime change doesn't have to be our final solution we could go with a political one then it would actually come to a pretty clo- pretty quick close russia and the assad government would tidy up the remaining isis fighters who are attacking and assad would remain in power but that's not our plan now let's turn to the eu because i think there's an, a couple interesting quotes i'm going to have to read for you here but uh, it sounds like there could be a cost with some of our friends over there Washington must not dictate how the EU builds ties with Russia. And that's according to the president of the European Commission, Jean-Claude Juncker. Man muss die Russen einfach, ich sag das mal so plump, anständig behandeln. I'm going to read it for you, for those of you who are not watching, uh, because it, uh, isn't, uh, it isn't subtitled. And, he, and, of course, he gets a nice round of applause. Uh, but he is saying, and I'll, here, I'll, I'll start it right here. Russia must be treated decently. We can't let our relationship with Russia be dictated by Washington. Now... Uh, well, RT's Laura Smith joins me now live for more explanation on this one. Well, Laura, what's behind this change of view then? Of course, this is coming from RT. Well, it certainly looks like part of a general thawing. Uh, last week, we saw the... We'll leave it there. I really don't care to hear the rest of her analysis. But my point with that clip is there is a bit of... There's only so much pushing we can do around, especially when we're on record. Oh, there it is. That's a uh, special shout out right there to the good guys over. Uh, I just I caught their episode of the No Agenda show today, and uh, it's also on this topic. They came out on a Sunday show. You should go check out the No Agenda show because they also are covering this. There's lots more going on with this, and that's why I wanted to do a short sun, short Sunday episode to sort of bring us all up to date. Go listen to the No Agenda show for this week uh, too to kind of also get their take on it, and then hopefully we come back on Wednesday and have a little more uh, progress. I tell you what, it has been very fast developing, and the amount of just outright lying and manipulation that's coming out from the mainstream media is it's striking. Just outright lying about where they're attacking, who they're... It just All of it is really, really stepping up to a whole new level. And so if you have a little extra time, I invite you to go over to patreon.com slash unfilter, grab the $5 slaughter more, and get this week's sync. Lots of clips in there on this. Uh, we've got about six more clips on this particular topic that I would invite you to go check out. And all of them... All of them are so full of crap. It really is unbelievable. Also, that clip from 14 years ago marking... The kickoff of the war in Afghanistan. That misstep 14 years later, and here we are. And as we wrap up, I look at it and I think maybe finally Russia's going to step in and clean things up. Not in a way we like. And honestly, it's really hard to say which way that's going to go. The U.S. could respond very badly to that. We could move down a path that, honestly, some say, it might be overhyped, but say, some say it could be like World War III. The proxy war is beginning. 
Now the U.S. government has to make a decision and their allies has to make a decision where they're going to walk on that line, that red line, if you will. And as the election comes up in 2016, this is going to become so, so skewed by the election process and by all of the propaganda and crap that is coming out about Russia and their involvement. And I'm not, I hate to even come across like some big Russian fanboy or some Putin advocate or something. It just seems pretty obvious to me the way this is going. So as this all approaches, as 2016 approaches, as Russia steps up their involvement, as the U.S. continues to walk this line, as the pressure continues to build in the EU because of these sanctions and the pressure for more sanctions continues to build, this has got to be the biggest story since this show started. So thank you for your support over at patreon.com slash unfilter, unfilter.reddit.com if you want to submit some content. Tune in next week for coverage on the TPP, this story, and much, much more in episode 162. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. See you back here soon. Bye.